This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this, uh, this company, he's, you know, he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know, should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company, and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a thousand agents across the country and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents, I trust it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's gotta be a better way. There is real estate agents. I You're listening to The Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with The Church Boys Podcast, and I have Matthew Barnett on the phone, co-founder of the Los Angeles Dream Center. How are you doing today? It's good to be with you. Thank you. Doing great. All right. So we just we have to jump in on this because I, I saw a press release come through, and I had to jump on it because I was thinking... Is, is Matthew insane? Because what I read was that you were embarking on a journey to do seven marathons on seven continents in seven consecutive days. Is that accurate? That is accurate, and it's humbling to think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Humbling, yes. Humbling, terrifying, but amazing. Uh, well, let, let's just, I'm going to ask you first, why are you doing this? Because it sounds incredibly difficult. What's your motivation? Well, you know, my motivation is, you know, the last couple of years, uh, the Dream Center where I pastor, basically, if the audience can imagine, a hospital that's open 24 hours, seven days a week, it never closes, homeless people, families, human trafficking victims, every broken person in humanity comes to our building. And so, last year, uh, we increased 30% our housing for the homeless and those that are hurting, but better hurting the city of L.A., and it just—it was a challenge. It was so big, and we couldn't afford it, and still can't. But we just knew that there was so much need, and we didn't want to have 200 families on our waiting list trying to get housing. So I said, you know, in order to do this, I need to do something radical to make this happen. And it went back to 2012 when I was in the doctor's office. I was playing in a church softball tournament, and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't breathe. I went to the doctor's office, and he said, "You got pulmonary embolism, which is blood clots on both of your lungs." He said you should be dead with how much sports you played in one day with these blood clots. And he laughed. He looked at me and he said, well, you're probably going to live, but it looks like you'll never run a marathon ever again. And from that day on, something in my heart just said, you know what? Someone tells me that something can't be done. I believe it can be done. <laughs> and I started walking around the block, huffing and puffing, one lap around a track, ran my first couple of marathons. One day someone jokingly sent me a text message saying, I got the great, well, greatest way to raise money for the Dream Center. It's called the World Marathon Challenge and running seven continents in seven days and, uh, and uh, seven, you know, in, in, in seven different places. And so I thought to myself, man, um, I laughed about it and I kept thinking about it, which is dangerous. And now I'm embarking upon it to raise support for the Dream Center. So this per- what started as a, as a joke on that person's end ended up being a reality and, and a really – I mean, well, first of all, so you you had this this health scare and these health issues, and you you overcame that. Are you medically cleared to do all of this? 
I am. I'm medically clear. I'm on blood thinner. Uh, extremely dangerous because when you're on these planes, your feet swell up. And I got my blood clots because of flying and speaking on the road and coming back from that. And so I'm on the blood thinner and I'm just going to kind of see where it goes. I mean, there's not a day that goes by in training where I don't fear this endeavor, to be honest. I'm 42 years of age. I'm not a professional runner. And now I'm getting up at six in the morning, running two and a half hours every day, um, learning to run tired, which is something I've never, I always thought rest when you're tired, but they tell me run when you're tired because that's what's going to make it happen. So to be honest with you, I'm, I'm very terrified about that. I've actually woken up a couple of times, <laughs> a couple of nightmares about it because the thought of, you know, running in Antarctica, negative 20 degrees, and then running in seven continents on seven days and seven twenty six point two full marathons. I can't allow myself to think too far in advance. I just got to kind of think about today, and uh, that's what keeps me going. And but the people keep me going. I, I people coming up to me saying, "Pastor, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay in the Dream Center rehab program. I've had a 20 year lifelong addiction. But if you can work for us and train for the cause of helping us, I'm going to stay in the program and not leave the program as you're training for the next seven months." So what's happened is a bunch of people that feel like giving up on the recovery are staying in the program as well as they're kind of facing their own challenges. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're, we're encouraging people to face yourself on whatever they're dealing with. And so it, it's been a struggle. My toes are been ripped off several times. Um, I had to go up a size a half in shoe size, running about 65 miles a week right now. Soon it'll be up to 90 to 100 in the fall and winter. And that's just something typically pastors don't do. You know, we, we go out to eat after church and eat late night dinners and kind of lazy sometimes. So <laughs> this, <laughs> this is, is like the polar opposite. Well, all right. So the world marathon challenge, it happens. When does it happen in 2017? What part of the year? It happens in January. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So, okay. You're not even a year away. I mean, this is really coming then quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's about six months away. It is. And, uh, and third, it's, um, let me yeah, it's a battle a day, new injury every day. So third, only 30 people have completed this. Is that, is that true? That's correct. Actually, 27. 12 did it the first year, and then 15 did it the second year. And uh, so this is the third year of doing it, and we'll just see where it goes. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I watch it. You know, I, the first thing someone, thing someone told me is when you run in Antarctica, make sure you don't sweat. Because if you sweat, you can die. That's what I heard somebody say. So that was my introduction to the World Marathon Challenge. Oh, wow. Don't sweat in Antarctica. Because of the uh, negative temperatures and the water getting into your body, so wow, it's uh, a <coughs> there's a lot of elements to deal with. You're running on ice, and uh, which is more like sand than it is ice, and and uh, then changing climates, getting on planes. The hardest thing for people to understand with this is that seven consecutive days, seven marathons. So you're running, you're done, you get on a plane, you get off the plane, you run, you get off the plane, and you go to the next continent. So that's, that's what it's going to be, and that's what I'm looking forward to with uh, a little bit of fear at the same time. <laughs> well, that's what's so crazy because I was going to ask you the logistics of that. I mean, you literally – when I go on a plane – I, mean, I live in New York. When I go to California or anywhere across the country, I'm exhausted after. So there's this whole travel element to this too that is going on. Um, I mean, how much sleep are you going to be able to have in the middle of all these runs? The only sleep you're going to get is the one on the airplanes. And so, you know, Antarctica's done, then you're – Sometimes you're six to eight hours <coughs> later on a different continent, you're running a marathon. Wow. So the only sleep you're going to get is on the transfer plane from where you're going next. And that's going to be the challenge. Basically, we're not going to sleep in reality. Uh, 
it's hard to sleep and your legs are throbbing. It takes me a month normally to recover from one marathon. And so I got to find a way to recover overnight on those planes and flights. So um, that, that, that's, that's the challenging part um, is there's one turnover then to Morocco, I believe, to Athens, where there's only a three-hour flight. So you run a marathon, get on the plane, take a three-hour flight, and then you're running again. So this is the, this is the kind of turnover. You're never on a place longer than 12 hours. I mean, um, honestly, so. when I do a two-mile run, I'm complaining. So this is embarrassing for me. But I mean, <laughs> And here you are doing like a million miles a week. But all right, so have you talked a lot with the other people who will be doing this with you? Yes, I talked to Becca Peasy, who was the fastest woman runner ever to do it in the first two years. She ran everyone under four hours. And she said something to me, which I thought was a pretty interesting lesson of life. She said, you have to learn to run tired. That's the key. You have to learn. I go, well, how many days a week do you run? She said, seven. She said, I never missed a, a training day of running because that's the whole point, is learning to run with fatigue. And uh, learning to run 80 to 100 miles and changing your form based on injuries and adjusting and adapting and so Becca Peasy from Boston, she really kind of shattered all myths last year about what could be done. And so I figured I'd just go to talk to her. And so she's giving me a lot of advice. She's a professional runner and, you know, and uh, trying to learn how to adapt with this. But soon I'll be up to probably 100 miles a week in, uh, in order to prepare for it. That's insane. You're insane in a good way. I mean, that's that's insanity. I can't <laughs> – I do like – I do like 10 miles a week if I'm lucky. But – all right, so <clears throat> now you told me a little bit how people are reacting to this. And before we talk, I want to dive into that a little bit more. But you you obviously are doing this for a cause. You're doing this for the Los Angeles Dream Center, uh, which is a huge passion for you. Um, what what comes out of this? What are you hoping comes out of this that will benefit um, the Dream Center? What I would like to do uh, from this is I would like to get to a place where we're not just trying to survive in running the Dream Center day-to-day. We want to go out. We want to buy apartment buildings. We want to knock out the waiting list of all the homeless families that are trying to get into the Dream Center. We have 200 families that have nowhere to go. And it's really kind of taken us beyond this mode of just trying to manage that massive building to thinking about the future, thinking about growth. Uh, Those families break my heart every day as we have to turn them away from coming to the Dream Center. I just don't want that to happen. And I figure this could be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's probably, I'll never do anything like this again. But this could be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I'm 42 years of age, probably the last shot I'll ever have to do something crazy, to do something radical that will kind of set us up long-term to think beyond just that 400,000-square-foot hospital and really start growing. i got an apartment complex that is on my mind I'd like to purchase as well. And uh, so it's just that one radical thing that we're trying to do to push us over the top to launch us into the next great era of our lives. Do you win? Is there a financial prize at the end of the World Marathon Challenge if you make it through? Uh, no, there's not. Uh, you get a bunch of medals and you get the uh, the uh, the honor of doing it, I guess. <laughs> so well, look, the what, financial prize for me really is the people sponsoring um, the program and helping us go forward with it. Yeah, and also, I mean, the attention that this brings to obviously, we're doing this podcast, and I know Christian Post and others have have reported on this. It is bringing attention, which will will in turn bring support, which is which is amazing. I think when when anybody is as bold and, and as crazy as you are, and they're willing to do this, it's good. It's going to bring that attention. So, um, and again, I mean that in a good way. But all right, so tell me, I want to just ask you a little more about the Dream Center because you started this when you were fairly young. I think you were twenty at the time. Did you ever imagine that what you started would grow into what you now have today? 
To be honest with you, I had no clue. When I came to L.A., I was 20. I was the son of a mega church pastor of 10,000 members, and I came to the hood of downtown L.A. in the middle of some very difficult times, uh, uh, the riots, the earthquakes, and the tough era of the city. And I came in next to a church, next to a liquor store, and my dad couldn't find a pastor, so he asked me to come for three months to help him. And I failed miserably. I inherited 18 people. I drove the church down to two members. I was so inefficient and didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and then I took a walk through the streets of my city, and God really began to speak to me. He said, I, I need you to spend the your rest of your life not to be a great pastor, to be a city janitor. Just walk through the streets of L.A., pick up the broken pieces, and tell people they can dream again. Whatever I put in your hand, I want you to use it with joy. And back then, it was three bags of food. And so I gave away three bags of food. I moved my desk on the sidewalk. Because every day, the moms would come by. And I'd talk to the moms of the neighborhood with their kids. And <coughs> we just started finding a need and filling it and finding a hurt and healing it. And I never in my wildest dreams believed that starting a church at 20 and losing everything would be the best thing that's ever happened because I began to fall in love with people. And I began to keep my eyes open to people. And one little house in the neighborhood, two little houses, we started taking in people that were in need, that would rent, and then one day, the miracle, the Queen of Angels Hospital, which is one of the most visible buildings in Los Angeles, and I never realized that just loving one person at a time would end up being in a hospital like that, and so I think about that all the time, my training. It's not, it's not just a cliche. I really think about the purpose, and that's what kind of keeps me going on this. Well, I love it. And and you mentioned some of the things that you guys do at the Dream Center, and I, I don't want to make you repeat it, but I think it's important that people understand what it is sure. you're doing there. So take us through, as much as you want to, of the work that you're doing, how many people are being served there, the types of programs that they're in. Yeah, well, we feed about 30,000 people every single week in the feeding programs. Um, we have 750 full-time residents that live there. So if you, if you think about a hospital of 15 stories and nine buildings, um, just going through the tower alone, you've got homeless veterans that live there that were taken off the street, that had nowhere to go. So these veterans are just, their lives are just being turned on to purpose and, and destiny. Families, human trafficking victims, people had drug and alcohol rehab program, a homeless shelter for people who need a place to stay overnight, um, a home for emancipated minors, kids who age out of the foster care system, who have nowhere to go and be placed. Wow. And then uh, volunteers from all over the world to come and serve and all that is on one campus, and it really is a full-service place where we don't just minister to people's needs, we minister to the potential. And I think that's what kind of makes it great, is that there's not a feeling that this place is a shelter. There's a feeling and a belief that when you come on there, there's kind of an expectation that great things can happen in a person's life. And I think that's what makes it great. There's so much um, positive motivation, many great people coming through there, mentoring and teaching. And it's literally, it's, it's open all hours of the day. It's uh, the police bring people to us. The judges are sentencing people every day to the Dream Center instead of the prison system. And they're finding out that places, faith-based places like this can do a much better job than the prison system in recovering people. And it's uh, in 23 years of just doing the same thing over and over again, it's developed a wonderful reputation. And so I never, again, never in my wildest dreams, I believe that I just thought I'd preach great sermons on Sunday and <laughs> that didn't really happen. Uh, I didn't realize it would turn into this. This is something that was never even in my heart. But it's amazing what you can find, uh, what serving can reveal that you never even knew was in you. But once you just get started, it's an endless road of helping people. Well, 
you know, listen, I would love to have you back on again. I think this is, well, first of all, you have to come on again when, when you do this run. I want to talk about it with you after. Oh, um, and even so before, grateful. and even before, would love to have you back and would love to come out there. Next time I'm in LA, would love to visit the Dream Center and really just see it firsthand. I would love to have you out. I've admired I pre- your work and appreciate your love for hurting people as well. And, and I'm going for it. Actually, right now, I am, my shoes are off, and I'm looking at my foot, and I had the biggest blister. I have to go buy a size 11 shoes instead of 10 and a half. <laughs> it's, uh, it's all crazy. my toenails are ripped off. Um, oh, I posted wow. the Instagram picture of my, my foot. It didn't get very many likes, which I, I didn't <laughs> think it would. But uh, <laughs> I, love it. I don't think that's something you can really like. A lot of comments, but no likes. But uh, <laughs> that's kind of the... Uh, that's kind of the journey I'm on, but it's been fun every step of the way. And uh, waking up at 5.30 to try to beat the heat and get some runs in is is uh, not my cup of tea normally, but I'm learning. I'm trying to grow. Well, and my last question, because I said I was dumb, but I'm, I always lie, and I have one more. How is your family reacting to this? What are they saying to you? My wife thinks I'm crazy. Uh, she, in the beginning, didn't want me to do it, but then she came up to me and said, I can't, there's no way where I can stop you. Once you have that fire in your eyes to do something, you're she said you it. have to do it. So <laughs> on the surface, uh, is concern, but she knows why I'm doing it, and uh, she's supportive. My kids are running with me, getting them in, involved, and they just think it's the greatest thing in the world, but they don't think they realize how hard it really is. Yeah. You know? I think sometimes you think your dad could just naturally do anything. That's why I felt about my dad at least, but I don't think they're ready for the challenge. And to be honest, I don't think I'm prepared for the challenge. Uh, last year when I talked to Becca, she said, Everybody got injured in some way. Everyone went through some sort of really bad injury when they're running. So I don't know. What, the thing that scares me the most is the unknown. What, what type of injury am I going to have to deal with to persevere through it? And uh, that, that's the great fear. Yeah, well, and you're also not home. You're not to scare you more, but you know, you're you're abroad. You know, you're somewhere. You're somewhere else, and that's always hard. You know, you, to deal with something like that when you're not home. But you're going to do great, and we're going to be praying for you, and and definitely talking more about this because I think it's fascinating, and I can't wait to hear how it goes. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank today. you really so much. I'm privileged it. to have the chance to talk about it. Well, we will talk soon. Thanks again for coming on. It's a great honor. Thank you. founder of this company 10 years ago was trying to sell his house and went through real estate agent after real estate agent and they were all talking a great game and this guy who is selling his house the founder of this uh, this company he's you know he's kind of an important guy and kind of you know should get the best treatment and he said to his wife if this is what it's like for us how do people who have no clout ever get around this so he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is, their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a 1,000 agents across the country, and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through Real Estate Agents I Trust, it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's got to be a better way. There is. Real estate agents, I trust.com.